0: Hello everyone, welcome to the next episode of the NK Active podcast. And this month we are again joined with Charlie and David from NK Active. And we thought we would start having a conversation around about health language and the language that is used within healthcare and within NK Active, and that's potential impacts on someone's journey, getting them back to where they need to be. So I'm gonna come to David first about this because he's done some extra sort of work and qualifications around sort of health language as it were so how do you think the words that we use affects behavior
1: it's underrated it's such a strong signal something as simple as strength training to some people that means crossfit so when you're saying to somebody you need to get stronger what image does it conjure up in their head it's such an important area things like wear and tear wear and tear or is it normal changes what does it mean and what does it sound like and what impact does that have on the person that you're talking to
0: yeah and i think we'll come on to that wear and tear but you know, we can ask charlie to chip in around that from actually because we know that's that's not the right language used but we also know that's just not the right term because yep. it's just not true at all but sort of thinking do you think the language we use can motivate or sort of demotivates someone through, their, through it, their journey. It does
1: exactly that. It either motivates or demotivates. And it's, it's reflecting back the language and the terms that they use and that they understand and, and just clarifying that you're both on the same page and that terms mean the same. You're going to get better. Does that mean you're going to have less pain or you're going to be able to do more? So being really clear on the understanding and the meaning of the words that you're using did that mean the same to the person that you saw earlier in the day and the person that you've got in front of you now? So words, language, soft skills, and just considering that, even saying to somebody something like, do as many as you can, do as many as you're comfortable to do. Somebody, an athlete, is going to come in, do as many as you can. Right, well, oh, I've made myself worse. You told yeah. me to do as many as I can. I could do that, but it was painful. So being really clear and understanding what we mean and what they understand is essential.
0: And what sort of, can you give any examples of words that could be used in everyday practice or within the medical world that could most probably have a negative outcome, even though the intention wasn't meant to be given ne- their negative experience?
1: I think certainly as you're learning, you want to join a club, you want to be seen as knowledgeable, so you use the language, the medical terms, maybe to show learning, to show that you understand what's going on, to build the patient's confidence in you. But do they understand the words that you're using? If you've joined the club and you've learned those as new words, what do they mean to lay people? And it's almost being able to step back, knowing what you mean and how you'd speak to colleagues and peers, but using common terms with patients. Yeah. Flexation. Patients come in and say, yes, I've got to do flexation because They know about flexion and extension, and they just misunderstand it because they're trying to join in. Yeah, and, and these are normal things that people do. So, no, the elbow bends, the elbow straightens. Well, no, but I'm a medical person, I need to know, say more than that. But to the patient, that's enough.
0: Mm. Well, it all comes down to that communication skills. I, I love Absolutely. the analogy kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, don't overcomplicate things. Like, you don't like we, we know the medical jargon, but there's no need to try and almost sort of show off as it were and say big fancy words that actually you could put it in a much easier language for people to understand that it's less threatening um towards them so wear and tear charlie david sort of touched on it from how the perception of what that means but can you just give us an update on actually because from a physiological viewpoint we actually know that's not correct anyway
2: yeah so bone is always changing and adapting to load so um as we use our skeletal system um specifically maybe the knee or ankle um that you're going to have those bone changes will adapt depending on the tolerances and loads and what we mean by loads maybe things like lifting weight going for a run and um, maybe just doing your normal kind of day-to-day activities around the home um and what that will um what you tend to find then will happen is that your, your joint will change. The, the tissues will adapt to what you're wanting to do. And for some um, joints within like osteoarthritis, the term wear and tear has been used because of what they were clinically seeing on imaging. And what they thought was happening. That kind of initial theory around what was going on. But actually what we're starting to see is it's a regenerative process. It's the bone remodeling. It's changing its um, ability to then be able to cope and tolerate those loads that an individual is doing. So using the term wear and tear for patients sometimes is that it's demotivating. It's quite negative. It means that it's my fault. I've done something wrong. When in actual fact it's just the bone is changing and adapting for you this is uncomfortable however this is the plan moving forward of options that you have to make that doable and so i think sometimes i always think about when i've got my patients is it the right time to say what i think i want to say is it the right space to say what i'm going to say or is there a little bit of is there a better way that i could put it that will allow that person to do what they need to do for the greater good of them
0: yeah and if wear and tear isn't the phrase have we got a replacement phrase that
2: we can I don't using? think so I think it's it's again matching that individual what what is their knowledge what do they know yeah. what's their beliefs where do they sit within their language so what I always try and do is match and I do um, what we call reflective or summarization so if I'm using one of their terms, their vocabulary, I'll then just check can I just check is this what you mean by that? Yeah. And if I'm going to introduce a new word to them in their world I'll then be like, oh, look, so this is the I don't know Achilles tendon, and then be able to explain what I mean by an Achilles tendon, so that they have an understanding of what my thought process is, yeah, as well as theirs. And actually, that's a really lovely way a to build rapport, but b also for them to then check their knowledge and for you to check where they are within that learning process without it being a you know stuff you don't know stuff. <laughs> it's a nice subtle, soft way of just going, okay, this is something I can build upon. Um, so taking back to that wear and tear, it's wear and tear in the joint, therefore I can't load it. Okay, yeah. I can't load it because I'm an older person. Why can't you use a squat rack if you're 60 and it's safe to do so and you have the right technique?
0: Well, you, you can do. and But with specifically wear and tears, people normally have that connotation with osteoarthritis. They do. But haven't we now moved away that we don't call it wear and tear, the phrase actually wear and repair is most probably more appropriate from a physiological viewpoint rather than that wear and tear because yeah that wear and tear has quite a sort of a negative connotation to it so obviously we're not psychologists but obviously a lot of what we do is we are as we spoke about in the previous podcast is we're taking a holistic approach we're dealing with person with a person as a whole so that becomes their emotions come into part of that cycle as well So it's sort of, how do we then help try and provide them with space to talk and consider and and reflect throughout that that journey and letting them explore what language they want to use?
1: I think we mustn't be scared to ask questions. It's often the case, it might be a case of, you made me lose my confidence. No, I just ask questions fact that you lost your confidence, there's something else, there's something deeper here, there's something that we haven't explored yet. So just asking somebody is is absolutely fine. It's their reaction and there's a reason for that reaction. All you've done is just ask nice not questions. If someone's got something going on, then you're gonna see a different yeah. reaction. And don't be scared of silences while people are thinking. Mm. We always want to jump in and, and give people more information. If you ask a question don't worry about giving them time to think and process and come up with an answer before you jump in and give them their answer.
2: And I would say the same thing as well. People crying. It, it feels like it's a very negative, but actually that can be a really empowering thing. Yeah. That's, that's someone processing. That's someone really thinking quite deeply about the way that they might feel or, or are doing within that situation. And actually in your day-to-day busy life, you may not have that space. Actually, I've provided you with those five, ten minutes to really think about why am I here? What am I doing? What's the plan? And actually, that's quite, to me, although I'm not going to magically change everything, the fact that I can provide someone with those few moments to have those few positive interactions to move forward. That's what I think is amazing about being a a health professional. It's those little interactions of lots of different um, skill sets from all of us that then have that patient on their way and on their journey.
0: Yeah, and this is more for David because obviously thinking about health language and there's there's been research and there's the biggest area where we most probably think about the language that we use maybe sort of back pain, yeah, as as it were because you'll correct me if I'm wrong but actually sort of back pain is still one of these sort of big wonders as it were like where not obviously something that you can't diagnose back pain as what not and actually is a diagnosis relevant and I think sometimes you will see people then getting repeated scans on their backs and then things showing on the images and then the language then used within that has an impact on Absolutely. their perception of
1: Yeah actually what's wrong, what needs to be done about it. You've got a twisted spine, you've got a sugar spine, you've got a spine of a hundred and fifty year old what is seen on the image and this is where we know how much, how much is relevant. What are we seeing and what are we treating? Are we treating the patient, the beliefs, what have they been told? it's a, it's a really interesting area. And it get up get, going even further up to the shoulder, what used to be impingement, which had a mechanical impinging, trapping connotation. It's now subacromial pain. Because of that mechanical or something mechanical going on, I need to have something moved or an operation. And... We're looking across the whole body at the language that's used, the connotations that it has for people, the images that it brings up, and actually, is that helpful?
0: Yeah. Especially when we could, like, even when you use the words like twisted spine, impingement, they're, they're, they're words that you think about, and you could quite easily think yourself, and oh, this is going to hurt a lot because it is impinged or it's twisted well actually that may have no connotation to the actual pain that you are feeling but actually the language then uses then could then possibly heighten and change your perception around
1: perception and worry and even when we come down to muscles oh they're not firing well is that true if we put emg on there would we see any activity are they not firing or are they just weak And if they're weak what do we need to do do we need to improve their functional capacity or do we need to get them stronger yeah and how we deliver it and what we say what does it mean to the person
0: So also on weak, do we think weak has the potential to have a sort of negative impact on saying someone you are weak do you think that has the potential to have a,
1: a negative I, thought, yeah, I think so again depending on the person I mean, I spoke to one person talking about a fat pad in a knee and they misunderstood that and said I was telling them they had fatty knees, I've got fat in my knees and we <laughs> were <laughs> really upset so it, was, it was a complete understanding. It was a presentation of language, presentation of information. So these things can happen right across the board. So, and so I
0: think you hit the nail on the head there. And a lot of this comes down to actually using your skills and expertise as a clinician to read the patient, as it were, to then decide what language is appropriate to use. Yes. Because there's some patients you could use the term weak and that won't have a negative impact on them. You yeah, have other patients. use the term weaken, they then they um, then has a negative impact on the way they progress.
1: Might have forward. a motivating effect. I'll show them. I'll I'll, I'll change yeah. this. Actually, they needed to be told that they needed to be um, weak. Well, can that be changed? Well, and there's a there's a belief that people get stiffer and weaker as they get older. And on the road sign, what's the road sign for old people? <laughs> um, yeah, someone yeah. actually is. It's a it's a walking stick. Walking <laughs> stick frail old people. Yeah. Um, Surprise! surprised no one's complained about that, and <laughs> <Had> it changed <laughs> by now. <laughs> but we know that it, it doesn't need to be like that. It's a perception. You
0: just mm-hmm. need an old person sitting there deadlifting their body weight or yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> trying to put that on a road sign. <laughs> so how do you think, how do we repair, encourage and support patients through their journey with the use of language that we use?
2: I think it's getting them perspective. So it's that ability to show that there are some people who are slightly further ahead on their journey and this is where what it could look like in all its different facets. There are those that are then, look, this is where you are, but actually in the grand scheme of things, you sit on a continuum. So I think some people, when they come through this door, it is, it's the worst of the worst. You'll never see anyone like me. And in your head, you're sat there going, oh, I've seen four of you today. with <laughs> The same <laughs> diagnosis. So, but, but actually it's that, right, what's unique about you? How am I gonna prepare you for what needs to be done? sometimes it's do I need to give you space so we'll see some of our patients where actually it's really good for them to go away for a while think about what we've told them think about the words think about what needs to happen and what their views are and then for them to then come back ready to work and to move forward and I think it is just that yeah everyone is different and language is different and I think it's I try not to get into that um, you may find that there's Patients come to you with, oh, I saw so-and-so, and he said that by two years' time, I'm not going to have my foot. And you're like, okay, that's interesting. So I try not to worry and place that patient in the past, but try and change their perception to, to what's currently going on now, especially yeah. if they're quite what we consider a, a complex patient where they've had history for a long time, um, and they've seen lots of people and lots of services to be able to get um, where they want to be. Um, so I think it's being mindful of that language and not placing blame on anything. It's just about living in that moment and going, right, what are we going to do today?
1: Yeah. I think it's important not to place blame on people and to say, well, that might have in the right opinion or how they saw things at the time and if things changed, um, so I'll never get better or I've got certain pathology or I've got this. Yeah, okay. Or oh, this was the right exercise. I've been doing this and it hasn't worked. That might've been right at the time, whether mm. we agree with it or not but not to, to always be positive Mm. and to look forwards. Yeah.
2: And I think we're role modeling. Yeah. That's what I'm always very mindful of when I come here. I'm role modeling what I, what I preach. And so I think if you're not role modeling that, then that's really hard for patients to then know what they want to achieve or what they want to look like if they don't have people role modeling that for you.
1: I think some examples, just, just thinking about it, you know, no individual goes in for routine surgery. Mm-hmm. that's routine to the people doing it but not to the person having it yeah and unspecific mechanical back pain well, it's tissue specific to the person it's impacting them in a very specific way mm-hmm. so just a couple of examples of where certainly routine surgery something that we hear but the connotations of that mm-hmm. to a person
0: yeah and i, I like that i never thought of it like that before With regard, and it is like routine surgery to a surgeon it's okay like maybe routine remove a neuroma or something in. From a surgical perspective, it's quite a simple, straightforward procedure, yes. relatively quick to do. You don't realise that actually, to the patient, it's still a big event to them because they're the one on the operating table having their something, sort of, done too, something them? to do to them. And then you think yeah. about the, the connotations of that, and then maybe then the language you then used to describe. Yeah. Like that, surgery. I never really thought of surgery like that, but I think that's quite a, a valid point, as it were. And so how about the language then that leads on nicely the the language then used when discussing sort of risks and benefits and addressing people's fears around treatments for example especially in the exercise rehab world because there's from a fear perspective there is definitely fears around I can't lift this because it's going to hurt and maybe the exact words the patient's
1: yeah, mm-hmm. and, and sort of getting people to move and to, to do things. It's, it's acknowledging that there are risks because a lot of people want certainty. They want mm. you to take the risk away. They want to be clear that nothing bad can happen. And it's, it's being clear that actually do, bad things do happen. And there is risk in everyday life. And there is there are some cases where people have an irrational fear. And it is an irrational fear. There's a spider in a, in a, in a box sealed <laughs> the other side of the building but somebody's still hair's prickling up on the back of the neck at the thought of it. You can't do anything about that. The airplane industry has spent millions calming people's irrational fear of flying, which is very safe. Mm. We drive cars, we know bad things can happen. We have an acceptable level of risk, we take an acceptable level of care, and then we move on with our lives. And where is it is someone overguarding? Where is someone under guarding and could cause problems? What's the acceptable level for them? And how do we find that with them? And rather than telling people what they need to do, asking them where they're happy to start. Mm -hmm. What are you happy to lift? And what are we going to learn from that? So when someone does have some concerns, it's about putting it into context of, how did you get here? I drove the car, okay. This could happen. What's possible and what's probable? Could an aeroplane crash into this building? Is it likely? If I don't use my stick, I will fall over. Is that true or is that a belief? And how do we go through a process of guided discovery or graded exposure to see if they fall over? What's the worst thing that could happen? I feel embarrassed. Well, the worst thing, is that really likely? Have you ever fallen over before? Did that happen? So giving people context and things things that they know, they know that they fall over actually, I felt really embarrassed. Well, did everyone laugh or were they really concerned? Well, no, actually, they were really concerned. Mm. i fall over, everyone will laugh and I'll feel embarrassed. So it's context and situations that actually, well, I've been in there, yeah, that did happen like that. So bringing it into something real that they know.
2: And helping them formulate strategies, isn't it? I think they like say it's that yeah. unknown of like, <gasps> what yeah. happens if the worst yeah. case scenario happens? And it's like, oh, actually, I've problem solved that as a clinician in my head. I've made that... Kind of thought process from all that evidence-based practice and knowledge that I'm drawing upon, but maybe haven't voiced that, and that's where I sit there and go, okay, maybe I need to, like, say, pull it into context to then go, right, this is where we're going to go. Do you think this is something we could try? Those yeah. words,
0: and I, I like using it. You're using the words, but then reinforcing it with, from our perspective, the rehab stuff. So they're sort of saying, if I don't walk with my stick, I am going to fall quite. Assertive, powerful words in their beliefs that's going to happen, but then we're then giving them the environment to show them that that's most probably not going to happen. And then what's interesting is then then listening to them then describe that experience and the words they then use after automatically changes. So we're not trying to tell them to change how to speak. We're saying, well, you've this is your fear around yeah. stuff. Now let's do something in clinic to counteract that, and then let the patient make their own journey with regards to it's very
1: difficult to be told that you're wrong and your Mm. beliefs are wrong and people have to even driving down the road like this is the best way to get somewhere when there's traffic lights there's roundabouts oh even if i've realized yeah they're probably right it's very difficult to me to say yeah you're right i've always been driving down (laughs) that road the wrong way so giving them the time and planting the seed Mm. of well i might not and then giving them the graded exposure in a safe environment to test out those thoughts. And then, well, what is the evidence? What did we learn from that? Well, you can stand still without it. You can take one step. And we hear it a lot of the times we're running, I can't run. That's not a fact. If there was a fire, they would run out of the building. They yeah. can't can't run without pain. They can't run as far as they used to. They can't run as far as they want to. That's so breaking it down and what do they actually mean. And what, what's the level? Where yeah. are they?
0: and i think it's also i think you hit the nail on the head where you've got people who have had pain chronic pain has been going on for a while and as clinicians we we can't we can't just say okay stop thinking like this or just do this because we know that okay that's going to help but as you said they're not going to believe us so we have to get that belief and trust by showing them and we've had a few examples where i can't lift this weight because it's got 15 kilograms written on the dumbbell yes however you then go get them to pick up the olympic bar which has no sticker on it to say how much it weighs and they pick it up fine but that actually weighs five kilograms or yeah. and i think that's always quite a and i think as soon as you can get that and show them then you then listen to their language that they use it's like there's almost like this this penny drops moment and it, it doesn't become I can't do this anymore it's oh actually I didn't know I could do this yeah, and well, you just start to see
1: I didn't know I could do it, or I can't do that yet but if I start here and practice yeah. I will be able to do it in so yeah. then when
0: you think about the language then with regards to that do you then feel that as soon as you then get that change of language you see a difference in how well someone progresses for a rehab
1: program and it's very motivating. People's change talk when they become open and they start to look at what they can do, where they are, what's possible. Then things really open up for them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So then, Charlie, talking about medical vocabulary, I know we spoke a lot about trying not to use medical jargon, as it were. But sometimes you do need to explain what is going on. So how do we then go about sort of teaching the patients that because you get some patients that don't really mind about the job you get some patients who actually want to know from a cellular viewpoint because that's going to help them go through their journey so how do we go about the language we use to help educate and communicate with patients then
2: Yeah, so it's about putting it in different contexts and forms. So for some people, it will be actually we have a conversation about that language and what those words mean and how they fit together. And it might be that I provide glossaries in an email format for them. So they're able to go back over those words and start to go, okay, I'm going to understand them and maybe use them usually when talking to a family member. This is what I've got. (laughs) This is the word that they use. This is what it means so that they're starting to come familiar with that. They become comfortable with that's what they have that's what they're going, this is the plan moving forward. Um, We use things uh, like uh, blogs and we have leaflets um, for those that tend to want to kind of listen and then read in their own time and that repetition. Um, So we have a few patients that may have conditions like dyslexia that take them a little bit longer to retain that information. So we try and work with um, some of those that have reading difficulties, or maybe actually just that's how you work. That's how your brain works is to read information and to digest it and to keep repetition. Um, we do a phone, so it's absolutely fine for patients to phone us. usually a few days later that says, could you remember what those words were? and <laughs> Could you repeat what they are? Uh, and again, that's just part of that learning process of how to build their vocabulary, yes. I guess. Um, what we tend to do on our initial appointment letters is I'm very mindful of who the letter's going to. So I tend to use it in our podiatry jargon language that we use. Um, and then I I'll, I'll place it into kind of more simplistic terms. So um, using patient words to then describe it to them as well. So they can see that if someone else on along that journey was to pick up that letter and read through, they're still knowing that it's the same stuff that we've talked about. It's just presented slightly differently in a format that works for the, the majority of the medical profession that yeah. are going to read it.
0: Yeah, no, Yeah, I think going back to the whole leaflets and diagrams and I think that's why personally for me that the most of them I am dyslexic so I struggle with with words um ask me to write an essay and I absolutely detest it it's asked me to go and speak in front of an audience of 300 doesn't bother me I will happily do that whereas I'll find some of the people that will love essay writing but hate public speaking and I think for me I try and then break down those barriers with words with with pictures and and diagrams because I still think a picture explains a thousand words and I'm actually now working on the concept can a video explain a thousand pictures?
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. um, so it could be that another way that we look at doing it is is making short videos for patients about their, their condition and using is that gonna be a more effective way of communicating and breaking down those those language barriers as yeah. as such. So do you guys, with regards to the sort of health language, have anything else that I sort of You think I've missed that you want to add?
1: If you can get patients asking questions, I think that's a really strong, powerful thing. You've got some buying, they're interested, and that's much more useful than someone who arrives with the belief that you know everything, you're going to fix their pain, sort them out. They don't have to get involved. It's all up to us to do it to them rather than with them. Yes. Or if they're mm. asking questions, understanding they've got that buy-in and they're on that journey, you're on the journey with them rather than for them or to them. I think that's a lot better.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point.
2: Mm. I think it's okay to just be mindful that your language will, I think when you're a, a younger or those that have newly qualified, you're at this risk of, it's a really hard skill to learn how to talk at that academic level And then bring it all the way Mm -hmm. down to to that lay summary. But these are amazing, phenomenal skills. And those that will go and do other things like masters or PhDs or academic work in the future, the skill is still, can you explain it in its simplistic form? To me, if you can articulate that beautifully, then you really do know what you're talking about. And actually, that is a skill. And that comes with practice and yeah, just keep honing in on that skill over time. I think I'm still learning how to do language and how to be mindful of my own health language and how I use that.
0: Oh, no, it's the same with me. And it's only in the last few years it's it started to be more widely spoken about and accepted to be spoken about and in the language use and how that can affect things. Yeah. It's always something that is typically possibly a bit of a taboo area that's sort of just brushed under the carpet, but actually now, luckily it is much more widely widely accepted so i think that's a nice place to end it really so thank you both for Mm -hmm. coming on and sort of giving your pearls and, and wisdom and whatnot so as always if you've got any questions or comments just post them below and we'll gladly answer them please do subscribe to the podcast and we shall see you on the next episode see you later bye